Father, thank you that we could come to this place and honor such a mighty, holy king. For those that have come today, this week um, may have been uh, taken a physical toll, a spiritual toll, an emotional toll. And I pray that your spirit has calmed the anxieties of life in this moment of worship and that you have healed broken hearts, wounded hearts, and that those that are here lifting up their voice recognize the holy, mighty, treasured God that we serve and love. Thank you for that ability to raise our voice and to sing praise to you, Father. We pray your Holy Spirit moves here now as we open up your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. So this past, um, this past weekend, um, it was a very last minute trip that my son and, and wife decided we're, we're not last minute people. Well, I should say Deborah is not last minute people. And um, we went up to Tennessee very impromptu and went to go see our daughter Haley up at Southern Adventist University. And um, that Sabbath, we went to church at Crosswalk. I absolutely love what Crosswalk is doing, not just in Chattanooga, but all over the world. Um, that, that afternoon after church, we had um, gone to this park. And if you're familiar with the Collegedale area, there's this new park called the Commons. It's been around for a couple of years. And there's a new addition to the Commons, and it is a historical tour of Little Debbie Snacks, which is, if you're not familiar with Collegedale or what that area is, you probably have heard of Little Debbie, and that's the home of Little Debbie. When you walk out and you take a whiff into the atmosphere, you gain 10 pounds because you can smell cake. It's an amazing thing. So here we were at the Commons, and we were walking around, and there's little signs that give you uh, historical documentation on when certain little Debbies were created. And there's actually life-size little Debbies. Not edible. Um, Noah learned the hard way. Not edible because they are to climb on. And you can climb on a life-size oatmeal cream pie and jump on there. There's a couple of kids that were licking on them. There are these nutty bars that you can climb up if you wanted to do that. But while we were there, we ran into some people that we knew, and we started talking. And, uh, and while we were talking, there was these third, fourth, fifth grade girls that walked up to us. We had our dog, Jack, our little Australian shepherd. And they walked up to us, and they said, can I pet your dog? 
Now, for those of you that don't speak Southern, that means, can I pet your dog? And so they ask, can I pet your dog? And so they're down petting the dog, and, and, and it's just so cute. And Jack, if you know Jack, he kind of sings and howls when new people um, greet him. He's very social. And, and so then one of the little girls looked up my, my daughter, Haley, and said, do you want a little Jesus? And then another little girl looked up at Noah and said, would you like a little Jesus? And then the youngest little girl looked up at me and said, how about you? Would you like a little Jesus? And I said, uh, well, yeah, I'd love to have a little Jesus. And so they put, put your palm out. So I put my hand out. And then they placed a literal little Jesus in the palm of my hand. And then they walked away. No explanation. But they put this little Jesus in our hands, and then they, see, Jesus is watching, careful. They put that little Jesus and walked away. And so there was no Bible study attached to the little Jesus. There was no systematic theology that was attached to the little Jesus. There was nothing about the sovereignty of God, the salvation story attached to the little Jesus. All they wanted us to have was just a little Jesus. We went back to Haley's apartment and Noah and I took these little Jesuses and we hid them in Haley's apartment and we told her, behave, because Jesus is watching. <laughs> and so we left those there and I got so excited I ordered more little Jesuses. But it got me to thinking and um, a little rubber eraser type of Jesus, um, it got me to thinking of how often do we share a little Jesus with people that we know? I'm not talking about the inner circle of your core friendships. Now, if you're not talking a little Jesus in those core friendships, maybe that's where you start. But I'm talking outside of that sphere of people you're comfortable with, how often do you share a little Jesus with the person that you've seen at the gym? He's your gym friend. And you've seen this gym friend for the past five years. Congratulations if you've been going to the gym for five years. But, but if you've seen this gym friend and, and here's, here's your conversation. Hey, what's up? Not much. What's up with you? Not much. How much you squat lately? And goes there. How much protein intake you've been eating lately? Then it goes there, and that's it. You've been having that same conversation. And what about that work friend? The work friend you've been working for or with for the past five years, 10 years, and you've talked about everything under the sun almost, and you've talked about the weather. You've Because that's interesting. You, you, you've talked about um, uh, maybe your family. You even talked about, hey, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, we did. Da, 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 da. Oh, that's cool. Did you have a good weekend? Yeah, I did. And that's as far as it has gone. When was the last time you talked a little Jesus with somebody? So let me ask you this. Um, what does sharing Jesus look like 
without getting weird. I mean, if you want to tell me, that's fine. I would love to know because here's the news flash. It, it will always be weird. We've made it that way because it hasn't been this natural thing for us to just, it doesn't bubble out. But, you know, when any one of us who go to a new restaurant and have an amazing culinary experience, what do we want to do with that experience? We want to share it. You won't believe what just opened up in Winter Park. And you'll talk about it. The way they serve the bread, the type of olive oil that they use. Oh, it's amazing. And oh, wait till the dessert. And you talk about that whole experience about food. We do it all the time, all of us. But it will always be weird a little bit to talk a little bit about Jesus. I, I wanna talk to you about a story. I wanna read a story together with you. And I, I, I wanna observe a weird conversation. And that weird conversation led to an uncomfortable conversation. And then that uncomfortable conversation, um, some would say that it was very offensive. And you'll see here in a moment how offensive this conversation got, but it ended with many lives marked by God and changed forever. So many have used this story to focus on racism. Many have used this story to debate worship, where to worship, who to worship, how to worship. And many, some, I haven't heard many of these, but horrible pastors have preached this text to focus on women choosing uh, bad relationships with men. So today, we're going to hear about all of that and more. So scandalous. I'm glad you came. And it starts in John chapter 4. We're going to get right into the Word of God. And so if you have your Bibles with you on your phone or whatever, you can open up, highlight stuff to go back to. Here's, I, I would challenge this. I'm going to end with a challenge, but I challenge this. Spend this week on John chapter 4. It is loaded, and you're only going to get a peekaboo uh, look at the depth of, of this story. And um, I'm, we're going to fly through it, but, oh, man, if you spend time in there, uh, it, it, it's, it's going to make your head spin. So, so here we are in verse 3. So he, Jesus, left. He's geographic now. We've got to get into that geographical history. He left, Jesus left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. The way uh, Galilee and Judea was positioned geographically is Judea was in the south. Galilee was in the north and in the middle was Samaria. And so verse four says, now Jesus had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Jacob's well was there. That, that was the original well of Jacob, one that he built with his own hands. This is crazy how, how many years that goes back. But Jacob's well was there and Jesus Tired as he was from the journey, that's the human side of Jesus, he did get exhausted, he did get tired, he did get hungry, he did get thirsty. 
but he was also fully God. And so tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it even gives the time of day. It was about noon. There's significance there that we're not going to get into, but verse 7 says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, what did she draw water with? They basically, she basically had to have massive Stanley cups, huge Stanley cups, and she would bring her Stanley cups. By the way, it was the original Stanley cups. They are still the same size. And, and so she brought her Stanley cups to the well to draw water from. And so a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, this is where the conversation started. It started with a request. Will you give me something to drink? Now, why would Jesus ask that? Was he so exhausted and so tired? Or did he not have his own Stanley Cup? He really didn't have his own Stanley Cup. But then where was his disciples? Why couldn't they draw him water before? Well, because in verse 8 it says this, that his disciples had gone into town to buy food. They went to the local Costco in Sychar to go buy some food and bring it back in bulk. And so no one was there. It was Jesus by himself with a woman. And so he asked her, will you give me something to drink? Here's what her response was. It may have been some confusion. It may have been laced with a little bit of attitude. But here's her response. She says in verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew. I am a Samaritan woman. You're a man. I'm a woman. You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. Why would you ask me? Of all people, why would you ask me for a drink? And then the rest of the verse in uh, uh, whatever you call those things, the parentheses, thank you, Deborah. My, my wife's a teacher. Uh, in parentheses, it says this. It says, that for the Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Ooh. So it was weird for her to hear that from a Jewish man. So where does that come from? Why didn't they like each other? So here's the background story. I'm going to give you the backstory of this. So they were a mixed race between Israelite and Gentile. And Jews believed that Samaritans were racially and religiously unclean because they disobeyed God's law to intermarry outside of the Israelites. So they didn't like that. So it goes way back to Old Testament days of you are impure, we are pure. And so there was incredible tension in a simple request of, will you give me some water to drink? There was tension in there. In fact, this is how bad it was. Jews didn't like to travel through Samaria. They actually would go east to the Jordan. And it was like a, a bypass. It's like the new 429 around or downtown Orlando. It was a bypass where they didn't want to go through because they didn't want to associate. Let me put this in, 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 in terms that, that we all can understand here. Let's say every single one of you 
are Floridians. You're living here. I'm guessing that you're living here. So we're Floridians, but we're going to travel together to Tennessee, but we don't like Georgia. We don't like them bulldogs. Nope. We're not going to do that. We're going to go up I-75, and before we cross that border, we're going to go on I-10, and we're going to head west on I-10 until we get to Alabama. So then we'll go up Alabama, because Crimson Tide are there, right? Some of you, maybe. So we go up Alabama because we don't want to associate with any bulldogs. And so we go up Alabama into Tennessee. And that's exactly what the Jews did. They did not go through Samaria. Do you want to know how long of an extra, uh, how, how much time extra it would take just to not associate with people that you felt were unclean? that weren't as pure religiously as you, you want to know how much time was added to their, their travel? One week. All to ignore people in Samaria. One week on foot, because there were no cars back then. One week. But Jesus chose to travel through Samaria. Isn't that crazy? Not bound by cultural, religious, or, or racial prejudice, Jesus chose to go through Samaria. And he, he started a conversation requesting for something to drink. Her response, I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew, why would you ask me for something to drink? And I want you to notice how Jesus shifts the conversation to spiritual things. It happens pretty quick. And so in verse 10, he says that Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. You see how he shifts that real quick? He changes the conversation from physical concerns to spiritual concerns. In verse 11, she says to him, you have nothing to draw with the well, and the well is deep. You have nothing to draw. You don't have your Stanley cup here. Where can you get this living water? That sounds intriguing. Wait, so she asked him, so there's the plug. Now he's starting to bring her in. Where is this living water that you speak of? And then she gives him a little extra attitude right here. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? That was a long time ago. As did also his sons and his livestock. This well had provided refreshment and life-sustaining water for generations. Are you greater than Jacob? And Jesus got a little bit more direct. Verse 13, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water, this water in this well, will be thirsty again. Understand the spiritual substance and significance of that statement. Anyone who drinks from this water, you can apply that to anything on earth. What are you striving for to be fulfilled by on this earth? 
you will be left thirsty. What are you drinking from here on earth to fulfill this quench that you have? You will be thirsty again. Is it the promotion? Is it the position? Is it the raise? Is it the new car? What is it that we think we need in order to quench the thirst that we have? You will be thirsty again. This is the point that Jesus is trying to get across. And he even makes it clearer by his next statement in verse 15, 14. He says, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. I will give that water. It is the living water. You will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them, listen to this, in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You cannot contain a spring. You can't contain something that constantly flows. It continues to pour out. He's offering her this gift of salvation. I, I've got something that will refresh the soul forever and it will never thirst. I'm the only one that can give it. All you have to do is receive it. Everything else that you try to quench that thirst, that soul thirst, you will continually be thirsty. You will continually be looking you will continually be searching and you will never be satisfied until you take this living water. That's the point that Jesus is trying to drive at with this woman. And so then the woman, super intrigued in verse 15, says to Jesus, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty. And then she still doesn't get it. Listen, and have to keep coming to draw water with all these Stanley Cups. She's thinking, man, if there is some trick here that I don't have to come back to this well, give me that water. She doesn't get it. And so Jesus continued to expose her need for spiritual water, but I want to warn you. Before we move on this story, I need to tell you that it gets a little crazy. I'm going to start the next part of this story with just an illustration, because this is exactly what Jesus does um, to this young lady. Let's just pretend that I have brand new technology on my phone. It's an app. Pretend, okay? Focus, focus for a second. It's pretend. Don't go around saying, Pastor Mark's got this crazy app. Where can I get it? It's pretend, okay? Let's just pretend that I have this app on my phone. I can open up this app, pretend app. I can open up this app, and then I can take a picture of Reynolds. Boop. And as soon as I take a picture of Reynolds, just like ChatGPT, it starts to tell me all of Reynolds' past. Ooh, that's awesome technology, right? For a journalist? Like me, I would love to have that technology of Reynolds. And so I take a picture of Reynolds, and then that pretend app opens up his past. But here's, what, here's, the, here's the kicker. Over here in the far corner, 
I hit an AI button. Bloop. And then I hit screen share. Bloop. And then all of his story turns into a movie with all of his past transgressions. Ooh, so here, let me ask you a question here. How much of your past, our past, would we be comfortable with being shown for all here to see? Any hands? I didn't think so. I should put mine down. That would be horrifying if that technology existed. Because we would be so ashamed of what we did last night, what we did last week, what we did last year, what we did a decade ago, we would be so ashamed for others to see that, but we fail to remember that Jesus sees it all already. No technology needed. He sees every decision and choice and action that we've ever done or ever will do. And he's still absolutely crazy about us. It's mind-blowing that we are more embarrassed to expose our, this is why it's so hard for Christian circles to get spiritually transparent. Because you read the Old Testament, you remember when we did the series, What is Church? The most unpopular sermon was when they confessed their sins to each other. That was not a real popular sermon because that's horrifying to think about doing. But yet Jesus sees it all. And he still is crazy about us. And so here the conversation continues. This is where it gets crazy. And he, he thought to himself, Jesus is like, hmm. He calls out, he tells her, he says, go call your husband and come back. Go get your husband, because, you know, I don't want you to be uncomfortable. I can see you're getting, you know, a little uncomfortable here. Go call your husband. And here's her response. I have no husband. Then Jesus, whoo, listen to this. We've heard it a million times. Some of you may have heard this story for the first time, but this is nuts. You are right. This is Jesus telling her. You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands. And the man you now have, some translation says, the man that is in your home or in your bed, the man that you have right now is not your husband. So what you have just said is quite true. True. Have you ever been confronted like that? Jesus confronted the baggage. He confronted the sin, the pain in her life. And he offered her the free gift of eternal life. Living water in that moment. I know what will quench your thirst. It's not another man. It's not another husband. 
I want you to notice how she deflects. Human nature, when you're confronted with some, some, something, we defend. You know, I'm, I'm pretty good at verbal kung fu, and so whenever my wife confronts me on something, I'm like, psh, 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 oh, I'm ready for that. And we just go back and forth. And, and, and so, so we deflect sometimes, we defend ourselves, we change the subject, and this is exactly what she did. She changed the subject from her and said, I wanna talk about worship. And so she, she used an old debate between Jews and Samaritans about worship, and she says, sir, the woman said, I, I can see that you are a prophet because you know something about me. I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors, here's, here's the deflection, Our, change of subject. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And he pauses and says, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Verse 23, and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. That, that, oh, I wish I had time to stretch that a little bit, but we do not. If you want to spend time on what that means, you want to know what true worship is? Dwell on what the Father seeks in true worshipers, the worshiping in spirit and in truth. Expand on that, dwell on that, meditate on that. But Jesus avoided the religious argument by returning to spiritual matters. See, the, the, the woman had the question of, of where to worship. Jesus changed it from where to worship to whom to worship and to how to worship in spirit and in truth. And then the woman said this. I love this. I think she had a little attitude. And I love a little attitude. I married a big attitude, but she's an awesome attitude. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. I know he's coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. So she was done with that conversation. But Jesus wasn't done. And he goes, he says this, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. The significance of I am, he uses the same phrasing that he told Moses when Moses asked, who do I say sent me? And Jesus used, I am who I am. Jesus identifies that Old Testament script and says, I am. Same word. And in that moment, light bulbs, eyeballs, eyeballs opened and she realized really who it was she was speaking to and what it was he was offering. There was nothing special about who she was. She was an outcast. The, the women folk in town 
talked about her. This is why she was by herself, because most women would, would go in the morning and not go in the midday sun to get water. She was by herself. She was an outcast. And Jesus chose that outcast with that background to interact with and to reveal who he was to her. And it doesn't say whether she picked up her Stanley cups, but what the scripture does say is she immediately went to town. She went to town. I'll tell you what, what she did in a minute, but, but here's what I wanna focus on is where were the disciples? They're on their way back from Costco. And they're heading back to Costco and, and they saw the interaction in the dinner, distance as they were walking up to, to, to the, where they left Jesus. And, and they saw a woman, they saw Jesus. But I want you to notice what they, what they said. Okay, notice this. Just then his disciples returned and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked what do you want? Why are you talking with her? What was the conversation about? They weren't even curious. The woman's experience with Jesus did not end at the well. She went back to the town and she started to tell anybody that would listen, come and meet a man that knew everything about me. Come and meet him. The townspeople were like, uh, something's changed in her. We know her background. We know the choices she's had. They listened. And they actually invited Jesus to stay for an extra two days, and he did. But he chose her to tell a little Jesus to go back and tell a little Jesus to the town. But I want you to look at what uh, his disciples did here. So they see the interaction. They don't ask Jesus about the interaction. They just go right back to business as usual. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. We went to Costco to get all this good food. Eat something. They weren't curious about the interaction. Right back to business, eat something. And Jesus, <laughs> I don't know if Jesus ever got annoyed. Um, I guess I put the human side of that, I'd be super annoyed, but Jesus just said a statement. Verse 32, he says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. I have food to eat. They were still confused. Verse 33 says, then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Who, who brought him food? Did someone go to Chipotle and bring him? Someone go to Chick-fil-A? I hope they didn't go to Taco Bell. Who brought Jesus food? That's their focus. Right back to business. Now what happened to the woman? What was that conversation about? Jesus, what'd you say to her? Because culturally, that, culturally, that's weird for, for you, a Jewish man, to be talking to a Samaritan woman and you being a man, her being a woman. It's, what, what happened there? Psh, right over the disciples' head. And so then Jesus says this statement. This is, this is heavy. This is the challenge here. 
Jesus says this. He says, he says, I, verse 35, I tell you, he's looking at the disciples in their eyes. I tell you, open, open your eyes. You just completely ignored this amazing interaction that I just had with this woman. He says, open, open your eyes. And Jesus always uses agriculture symbolism because of the, the area that they were in. And he says, open your eyes and look at the fields. He wasn't pointing at orchards. He wasn't pointing at strawberry fields. He was pointing to the city of Sychar. Look at the fields. Open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. How many of us fail to open our eyes to the people that God puts in our path? They are ripe for the harvest. Jesus stopped he chose to go through Samaria to share the goodness of God to an outcast. A woman with a horrible history, especially in that culture of that day and age, it'd be horrible today. But he chose to go there to have a conversation with somebody with a past There's so many times that we think we need a prerequisite of holiness in order to talk to others about Jesus. I don't have my life figured out yet. I'm a mess. I still do this, this, and this. I, I'm not qualified to share Jesus at this point in my life. And we use that as an excuse we're scared we're scared and we need to ask for spiritual boldness in our lives because we are not opening up our eyes looking at the fields because they are ripe for harvest so Jesus shared the goodness of God to a lady with a horrible past and because she experienced the little Jesus, she could not contain it. And she went back to all the town to whomever would hear to share the goodness of God to them because of what she just experienced. And a whole town was marked by God. because all it took was a little Jesus and it changed the life of a woman that changed the lives of a city. One encounter, one conversation. Do you want a little Jesus? Don't ever fall for the lie of Satan 
to think that you are unqualified to talk to others about Jesus. No one in this room is qualified. We are just sinners forgiven by an amazing God seeking the living water to quench the eternal thirst that every human soul has. So I would not be, and I want you to hold me accountable to this. I'm not doing my job as a pastor if I don't leave you with a challenge. And a challenge means it's something uncomfortable. And so if I just give you an easy challenge, that's an easy challenge. But nothing that God calls us to is easy. And so I, I, I wanna throw a challenge out to everybody here in this room, worship leaders and everyone. And I wanna challenge you with sharing a little Jesus with somebody this week. Now, immediately, those of you who are introvert, your armpits are sweating, you're hyperventilating, and I want you to hear me. Sometimes you're the best at it. Sometimes you're the best at it. And so my prayer before you guys got here was that God would put a name on your heart in this moment of this last song as we sing to challenge you to share a little Jesus with someone. And so I'm gonna make this super easy for you. And it might be an awkward conversation. And that's okay if it's an awkward conversation because I even have help. See these little helpers up here? This is part of our adventure club. And inside every single one of those buckets I have 100 little Jesuses. And so what I am gifting you, that if God puts somebody on your heart to share a little Jesus with, during this song, I, as we stand, I want you to come forward, and there are three people here, three awesome little ladies, that are holding a bucket with, well, I think it's 99 because I stole one. So here we go. Let me, uh, there we go, 100. Unless Marlene stole one, then it's back to 99. So I have 99 Jesuses, little Jesuses up here. We have more than 99 people in this room. So no pressure. I only want you to come up if you have that name on your heart. And then you ask, what in the world am I gonna do with a little Jesus? I'm gonna actually have you take a picture of what you're going to say if you know nothing. If you can't figure out what to say, check this out. So here's what I want you to say. Okay, you, you, you invite them to lunch, invite them for a cup of coffee, and you hold that little Jesus in your hand, and then this is what you say. I've got this pastor that's sort of a pain. 
And he has challenged me to give you a little Jesus. And you take that little Jesus out of your pocket and you give it to him. Let me tell you what that's gonna do. It's gonna plant a seed. If the Holy Spirit doesn't put anything else on your heart, leave it at that because it's gonna plant a seed. What, a little plastic little Jesus? That's not gonna do nothing. Wanna bet? It's gonna do something. Now, if you have somebody that you know that God's put on your heart that's sort of a, an antagonist and they might take that little Jesus and throw it back at you, here's what you tell them. Yeah, my pastor said you might do that, but I'm gonna keep giving it to you and just see where the Holy Spirit leads. It's a conversation that you and the Holy Spirit and whoever God puts on your heart will have this week. That's your challenge. If I don't give you a tough challenge, if Pastor Juan doesn't give you a tough challenge after every sermon, we're not doing our job. But that's the challenge that I want to place before you all today. During this last song, if God moves your heart, pick up a little Jesus to share a little Jesus with somebody that God put on your heart. Now, I think that I might have a little helper that is going to help me pray. And um, her name is Eloise. And Eloise, I don't know what they told you to pray, but you all, all you have to pray is this. It says, dear Jesus, pray for everyone as they share a little Jesus to whoever God put on their heart. It's easy as that. Can you do that? All right, go ahead. in everybody's heart. Amen. In this day, we would like you for everybody to have a little Jesus and spread it around all over the world. Jesus, we love you and we would want to share you with everybody we can. And our Heavenly Father, your name, we praise you with all our might. Amen. Amen.